Uh, we'll go through the papers in just a moment, but we'll introduce our panel first of all. Jerry O'Regan, who's a columnist with the Irish Independent, Bernice Harrison, who's a columnist with the Irish Times, and Larry Donnelly, Donnelly who's an occasional columnist, but also a law lecturer with NUIG. Good morning to you all. Good morning. morning. I have to start, before we even touch the newspapers, by talking about A.A. Gill, um, whose cancer was revealed, I think, only four or five weeks ago in the paper and whose death was announced yesterday. And Bernice, you, you've been looking at mm. the, the, his final work, yeah. which is in the Sunday Times it's magazine the Sunday Times. Week. It's the cover of the Sunday Times magazine, the most extraordinary picture, beautiful picture of him. Um, and it says, how much, said my doctor, do you want to know everything and the truth? And I think those of us who re- read the piece, maybe was it two weeks ago, it was introduced in, in his restaurant review when he said he had got the full English of cancers. So, um, again, the, using the sort of wordplay that we've come to absolutely love. Um, and this piece is his experience of treatment of getting so this presumably this was printed I, I don't know I don't know for sure but I, I'm assuming this was printed on Thursday and he, he died on Saturday um, <clears throat> so this is about his experience of treatment and it touches on and I'll just read you one, one line because this is why we, we really enjoyed always enjoyed reading A.A. Gill you know he said in the waiting room hundreds of us take take numbers to sit like wilted potted plants in an autumn garden centre sale you know, that's yeah, fantastic. But but the piece touches on his treatment, but it touches on something that, of course, we're we're talking about here in Ireland. It's well, it's about the um, his doctor. He, he chose to go NHS. Right. He, Clearly, he yeah. could have n- not chosen that. Presumably, he, he's wealthy, you know, um, and there is a, a drug that the, the consultant said actually could help you. It's, a, it's an a, immunotherapy drug. It, it could help you. But the NHS doesn't provide it because it costs a hundred grand a year. So that, of course, is raises raises questions that that we're, we've been well, we'll, listening about we'll, or can we'll, be. We'll talk about our can be in a little while. And he also talks about the fact that the NHS has the lowest cancer survival rate in Europe. England has the lowest ca- because, and it's because of the way the sort of the system runs. It takes a long time to be diagnosed and so on. So it's all those issues that he's touching on in his last piece. This is very provocative, I think, and quite profound piece. And I suppose it, it, timing is everything mm. and, and people will read it and they will discuss it, Jerry. But what was a particular skill of A.A. Gills was to take the most ordinary words and put them in the most extraordinary order. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, one of the first things I did when I used to pick up the Sunday papers was, you know, obviously we'd glance through the news sections, no disrespect to my colleagues in news, but you'd, I, I'd seek out his restaurant reviews for restaurants I would never visit just to see what level of caustic abuse he was going to throw at some mm. poor major d'. Well, it's, I suppose it's a bit like a very good theatre reviewer. Many of us intend to go to the theatre more often than we actually do. But if somebody can review a play and actually engage us with what they're saying about it, well, then we, can, we don't feel as guilty not seeing the latest work by Henrik Ibsen on wherever it is but and he had that talent in relation to um, you, you know his restaurant and his food writing um, I think though he's done another service um, perhaps indirectly in that cancer perhaps apart from death itself a sort of morose topic maybe on a Sunday morning if you like remains an area of slight taboo and there was a time people didn't talk about it that much and it remains of course the great conundrum for the the human species so to speak in the sense that we can't beat it and that we can't actually confront cancer in many ways medically speaking you know if the prognosis of us is of a certain type as in the case of A.A. Gill and I think 
for people who get unfortunately get a diagnosis and their immediate family, there's a huge psychological battle to be confronted. And I think one of the services, people like A.A. A. Gill and, you know, a number of other people in recent years who've written about this sentence which has been put upon them, is that they've liberated somewhat the whole dark, dismal dimension to the whole kind of physical condition, if you like, which mm. is a serious cancer diagnosis. And it was the most serious diagnosis he had, Larry, in mm. the full English, as he describes Absolutely. it. Absolutely. But, but the bravery, I mean, I, I always feel awkward talking about bravery mm. of people fighting mm. cancer because they didn't ask for it. They didn't, they didn't mm. seek to climb Everest, yet they found themselves halfway up the slope. Yeah, and a lot of people have made this point recently. I think it's a very good one, this awkward nature of uh, fighting cancer and fighting it with everything you have um, and going to win this battle and all this kind of thing. And that, that language can be particularly awkward because cancer is tough. Cancer is very difficult. And how do you how do you dare characterize anybody uh, who's got a diagnosis like that? But uh, I suppose for me, uh, what his untimely passing reminds me of and should remind everybody of uh, is the fragility of our existence, that some, seemingly somebody so healthy and vibrant, et cetera, uh, can be struck now with something like that. And I think it points to the importance, it may sound trite, uh, of living each day to the fullest and embracing life and not letting little things get you down. Can I just read one more paragraph? Because it's just, so, you, you know, you'd, this, this, I could read out the whole lot, but, and it's a very long article. Um, he, he's talking about when you're, you're diagnosed and the language of diagnosis. And he says, someone should write a paper on the euphemistic size comparison for tumours. There should be an e-site, euphotumours. The images are very masculine. Golf balls, cricket balls, bullets, grenades, ruminant testicles. No one ever says, I've got a cancer the size of fairy cake. And it's true. <laughs> Again, the skill of the man. It, it's on the front of the Sunday Times, as you would expect, Kim, that he was one of their own. A.A. Gill, giant of journalism, dies aged 62. We'll go to the other stories on the front of the same newspaper. McGrath refused to name Sinn Féin TDs in Dáil. Matty McGrath, an independent TD, has revealed he was approached by a journalist in Leinster House last week and asked to urge used oil privilege to link Sinn Féin's Martin Ferris and Desi Ellis to the IRA murder of Officer Brian Stack. McGrath said the approach which he rejected was made in a Leinster House corridor on the day before Fine Gael TD Alan Farrell revealed Ferris and Ellis had been named by Gerry Adams in an email to the Guard the Commissioner about the 1983 shooting. I don't think that's particularly new. I think that came out during the week in the radio debate. Um, Shannon to debate pensions law. A proposal to make it illegal for solvent companies to wind up workers' pension schemes would go to the Shannon on Tuesday. The change would take effect on January the first is one of their other stories there. Sunday Independent, um, just when you thought Irish Water couldn't get any worse, uh, Irish Water's €5 million Euro consultant bill after charges end. Embattled utilities still splashing the cash and expert advice. Mark O'Regan writes that Irish Water spent £5 million on outside business strategists, lawyers, computer experts, public relations and financial experts in the six months after the government formally suspended the controversial charges and of course they're probably going to still spend that money because they're going to be hanging around a while as we find out how we're going to pay for water in the future. Um, their sidebar is Stack Fury at Ferris Nazi slur on father. The son of murdered chief prison officer Brian Stack has said that Sinn Féin TD Martin Ferris has slurred his father's name after he drew comparisons between Portleash prison management and Hitler's secret police force. That's that story there. The Mail on Sunday have a great yarn about speed traps um, and nothing 
gets people going more than speed traps, particularly if you've been caught in one recently, which unless something untoward has happened this morning, thankfully I haven't. But they reveal the top 10 black spots over the past five years and how many millions have been raked in. Speeding fines paid by motorists jumped by an astonishing 63% from 4.6 million in 2012 to 7.5 million last year. And some 4.7 million was collected between January and September of this year alone, more than the entire amount collected in 2012, which means they're either getting better at detecting speeding fines or else they're putting a lot more of those speed vans out there and are catching more people. You won't be surprised at where the top 10 are, by the way, and we'll read some of them in just a little while. At the Sunday Business Post, um, rates blitz sheriffs to raid businesses over unpaid bills. Businesses are facing seizure of goods by sheriffs, the docking of salaries and the denial of state licences if they fail to pay their rates on time. As part of a new crackdown, the state is to give extra powers to councils to target businesses that fail to pay commercial rates. There's a great story down the corner by Leanna Byrne. Uh, School wardens, better known as lollipop ladies and gentlemen. I've never heard one referred to as a lollipop gentleman, but I suppose (laughs) there should be. We should have the derogation there for the men who do the job as well. But they've been physically assaulted, threatened and verbally abused by motorists and parents. Information released under the FOI Act by 30 of Ireland's 31 county councils revealed that since 2010, 17 councils have received 128 formal complaints from school wardens about parents' and drivers' behaviour. Why in the name of God is that coming out under freedom of information? That's the kind of thing the council should be telling everybody yeah. about to moderate parents' behaviour and It, 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 it won't happen when Trump gets really gets going in the US. Lollipop ladies are going to be fully protected. Absolutely. They're fighting back with their lollipops. Yes, they'll be packing. Uh, possibly a stronger lollipop. Um, Jerry Mann in the van is a story on the front of the Sunday World in relation to the stack story and the front of the Irish Sunday Mirror, which I'll reference because we'll talk about it in a little while. Magella's F-word rant at Dr. Singer blasts shameful psychiatry fees for the mentally ill, and we'll come back to that a little later on. Let's talk about the the Jerry Adams um, Brian Stack story, if we can, to begin with uh, Jerry O'Regan. The focus is all wrong here. The focus in a lot of the commentary of the newspapers today is on uh, Alan Farrell and what Alan Farrell said in the Doyle and Doyle privilege. And we're kind of moving away from the substance of the story. I mean, Alan Farrell has arguably done a disservice this week by what he did in the Doyle. Well, I'm I'm not so sure about that. I I think I think um, th- th- perhaps to an extent one can say there's almost an inevitability about uh, about this per- particular story in that we have a residue from the northern conflict, if you like, which continues to haunt Sinn Féin, and I think which politically uh, continues to damage them, particularly in the Republic. And the difference between this, I think, and other incidents where. Um, Sinn Féin have been embroiled in this type of controversy is that this incident and this shooting happened actually south of the border. And it just so happens, I think, that people subconsciously or otherwise have a different equation in their mindset Looking back to the historical evolution, if you like, of the Troubles, if something happened in Northern Ireland or or, or if it happened in the Republic. And I think um, for Sinn Féin, there's huge political damage pending on this. And I think it's very interesting that, say, for example, Mary Lou MacDonald has been, I think anyway, has been conspicuously absent. To to be fair to Mary Lou, and and I know, I think she may have been uh, feeling a little unwell this week. So I think there might be a reason why she wasn't in the House. I don't think we can read anything into that. 
that, to be fair. Okay, all right. Uh, But I think this has happened in the past. In other words, that there's a twin-track approach in Sinn Féin, I think. I'm talking about the politics of Sinn Féin, in that you have a northern dimension personified perhaps most of all by Gerry Adams, and you have a southern dimension personified perhaps most of all by Mary Lou MacDonald. And there are issues which arise which have little import in a way by way of causing damage to Sinn Féin north of the border but you certainly have as in this instance um, events which can cause them grievous setback in the south. But can't, will they though? Because Bernice we've been through this Well uh, you know you hear words like grievous setbacks and damage and you think Maria Cal, you know you Body think Jean McConville you know where's the damage? It's as if we just move on. This, this, These things erupt and everybody goes Phew, Sinn Féin, Jerry Adams and then it all just moves on. Um, I think the story hasn't been moved on today. There, there's nothing new. This is the, what we're reading today in the Sunday papers is sort of trying to round up what happened this week. And I think um, in that, Hugh O'Connell in the Sunday Business Post is the best. He's given a full page to it. Well, he's spoken to Jerry Adams and he's spoken to Austin Stack. So exactly. He's, he's done exactly. the round. He's done, yeah, and, and he's given the whole story. And um, what I thought, sort of an interesting take on it, and I nearly wasn't going to read it because I thought, oh, for God's sake. But then, actually, I think um, in the Indo, Brendan O'Connor. You know, in it, the headline is in this post-truth world, Jerry is our Donald Trump. Now, I wasn't going to read it because the headline is so daft, but then, then he he teases it out and he says he makes the point that you know, typically Jerry Adams starts the week. Uh, Jerry Adams is sort of emerging as the victim in this. Those Stack brothers, my goodness, they're questioning his integrity. They're questioning what he's saying. They're calling him a liar. Poor Jerry Adams. And this is the narrative that always emerges about Jerry Adams. And he says. Um, to listen to Jerry, it seems everyone here is a victim of the untrustworthy Austin Stack. Jerry has stopped short of calling him Lion Austin or Crooked Stack, but that's the territory we're in here. It's Trumpian. But then, is that really any surprise? Jerry Adams is in many ways our Donald Trump. And he talks about Jerry Adams' bizarre use of Twitter, sort of sense of victimhood anytime the media attack him and so on. It's, it's, it's an interesting take. Well, it's an interesting comparison on our resident Trump expert, and I'm sure he's <laughs> delighted <laughs> to have that particular moniker. No, Larry Donnelly is with us there. <laughs> Um, look, I, I'm not so sure how much comparison you can make between Adams and Trump. I think it's a fascinating attempt. I'm not sure how much you can make. But but on the substance of the issue, I mean, what we've seen in terms of past events with Sinn Féin and its political popularity here, uh, I don't think we've seen setbacks as such, but we've seen a definite ceiling, a ceiling on that support. And I believe that ceiling will always be there uh, so long as Jerry Adams is the leader of Sinn Féin. Because, he, because uh, I think as Ailish O'Hanlon mentions in the, in the Sunday Independent, um, the fact is he has has it when it comes to the North. He has a certain quality that, that really resonates and a certain gravitas that resonates in the North and indeed, I should say, uh, in Irish America. But he doesn't have it when it comes down here. And I, I think the one thing about this story that I think is a little bit different, a lot of Sinn Féin people this week have been talking about uh, you know, po- post-conflict societies, truth and reconciliation projects, all this sort of thing. And you can't have that without uh, a certain element of anonymity and secrecy, etc., and, and forgetting about the past. But this, to me, is quite quite distinguishable in the sense that we're talking about an, a prison officer in the Irish Republic and the murder of a prison officer in the Irish Republic. I don't see where that fits in but, that whole truth and reconciliation e- 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 narrative. Even in that wider narrative, right? If, if for example, somebody was convicted back in the 80s mm. of, of this crime, they probably w- would they have gotten out under the Good Friday Agreement. There would be an argument made mm. that they would have. But surely somebody has to be convicted first mm. before we get to that point. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, absolutely that, you know, that's, that's true. And, and one, one wonders where this investigation is going to go. I mean, they have the names of, of individuals. Adams himself has passed the names of individuals uh, onto the Gardaí. Where this is headed, uh, I'm not quite sure. But, but again, I mean, it's just the, the bigger political question here. I know that this, it, uh, it comes back to politics in a sense, is what does this do and what will the impact ultimately be? The, the, the ceiling has been there, as I've said, but what impact is this going to have? Okay. In terms of Adam's leadership and Adam's continued leadership, and is this the beginning of the end at last? I, well, I, I don't think so, because the, the storm has been weathered before, Jerry, and, and it will be weathered again, and we won't be talking about well, this I, I don't know, in three I, weeks, four weeks' time. I, I would think myself, if you look at the sort of historic, lev- the inevitable historic evolution, we'll say, of Sinn Féin in a post-conflict world, let us use that rather trite phrase, is that it's going to take some time for Sinn Féin to evolve. In many ways, you could look back to the 1920s when Sinn Féin back then evolved partially into a new party, Féin of all. And I think as regards its its economic policies, for example, where the party is positioned left of centre. I mean, if you were to speculate, for example, within a decade, Sinn Féin will have a leader from the south. It will will have moved its economic policies more centrist to try and, if you like, garner more of the vote, basically. Well, they they have economic policies now, which is something they would have been accused of not having five years ago, six years ago. They they have, but for a lot of... for all the talk about centrist politics collapsing in the US and in parts of Europe and all the rest of it, in actual fact, they're holding remarkably steady in the Republic, yeah. Uh, yeah. despite the growth of French parties. And I think Sinn Féin, who are a crafty political outfit, will, are keeping an eye on that. So my prediction is 10 years down the line, they will have moved significantly to the centre. Um, the one thing that does still smart for me this week, uh, and it's a point I put to Alan Farrell when he was sitting in the chair that you're in right now, Bernice, uh, is how... He managed to get his hands on this information because we are led to believe it was an email that Mm -hmm. went from Jerry Adams to the Garda Garda Commissioner. Now, the Sunday Business Post, again, Hugh O'Connell, is saying that Jerry Adams is taking legal advice as to whether to form the complaint. And, you know, which is fair enough. People people have actually (laughs) lost a lot more than Jerry Adams over this kind of thing. And and you'd you'd have to wonder how that that happened. Yeah. And will we ever find out how it happened? Probably not, I'd imagine. It's it's, it's very worrying in a sense because no matter how you feel about the broader issue here, there's a real problem when these, obviously there's a leak like a sieve and one of the narratives this week was it was all over Leinster House. Everybody knew who these names were Mm -hmm. and how did this happen? Uh, Does it come down to the core responsibility of of deputies? And we've seen Sinn Féin misstepping on this previously mm. as well Mary Lou MacDonald rather famously did it of, of throwing names around the house mm. and, and uh, you know dealing with the consequences afterwards Well I, I think yeah as you say we've had a number of incidents of this ilk if you like in the last few years and there's probably I'd say there's going to be more focus on all of this if you like as regards parliamentary responsibility let's put it like that and that when one make is making particularly an assertion or an allegation of a serious hue in the national parliament that in actual fact you need reasonably substantive evidence to back it up uh, Larry I have to talk about the, not a huge amount of discussion in the papers I don't know whether it, it, it uh, just didn't tickle their interest but a guy whose name wouldn't be out of place in an episode of Dallas Rex Tillerson <laughs> of Exxon Mobil um, who is an oil baron, let's face it, he's the CEO of a big oil company, is going to be Secretary of State. I mean, he highly down with the working man would be an oil baron. Well, first I should say we think he's going to be Secretary of State. We don't know for absolute certain, uh, although it does appear uh, like like it's going to be him. Um, 
in a sense, very little is known about where he stands on foreign policy. So that makes him sort of a, a blank slate. Uh, and I think one of the things that's been being said about some of the people Trump is appointing is because of where they work, that a lot can be gleamed as to where they stand on the political spectrum. Uh, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, I think that one of the things that Trump pledged to do is to reset American foreign policy. Uh, and I think this selection, as well as some of the others, signals that he's serious about doing that. And while a lot of people are horrified and disturbed by some of the choices he's made, and I, I'm one of them. Uh, one of the things is he's definitely going to change uh, the, the way America operates in the world. Uh, indeed, he's going to, to be more inward-looking. He's not going to be as interventionist. Uh, and in so doing, I think he reads very well the popular mood in the United States. And one of the things that kind of gets me is when the foreign policy establishment shrieks, the American foreign policy establishment shrieks about, you can't do this and you can't be talking to Taiwan, you can't do any of these things. What I say in response is to the American foreign policy establishment, look at where you have brought us. <laughs> mm. Decades of failed wars, failed interventions, thousands of lives, lives lost, thousands of kids coming back in body bags or with permanent emotional scars. That's where your foreign policy... And I should add, a lot of these people have self-financial interests in the interventionist American foreign policy. Trump sees that the American people fundamentally reject that, and I think that's some of where he's going with his pick. So again, I'm not thrilled with any of the things he's done, yeah. but I just think there needs to be a little bit of context. Well, now, the only thing is, it, it came out on the same day that the CIA effectively said, we think that the Russians were actively involved in trying to undermine the elections. They, they looked at both Republican and Democrat emails, published all the Democrat ones, didn't publish the Republican ones, so they, they were going in a direction there. And, and this guy, Tillerson, was awarded the Order of Friendship mm. uh, from Russia but, by Mr. Putin. Now, I know a lot of people got that, but... <laughs> just, just, just to speak about the, 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 the news about the Russians, if that is the case, then it's obviously very disturbing. But I think three questions need to be asked. First of all, we have no evidence. We, ha we have supposition from CIA agents that was responded, that reported then to the Washington Post. That's all we have. And again, I think people are rightly dubious about things the CIA has said. Uh, let's harken back to weapons of mass destruction anybody. So first question is, did they do it? Second question is, did it have any impact on the election? Uh, Frank Luntz tweeted yesterday, I think it was the Republican operative tweeted yesterday, did the Russian spying include to sending the Clinton campaign a memo to please stay out of Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the second question. So did it have any real impact? The third question is, okay, let's assume all of this stuff at the end of the day, because we don't know, and this is one of the great fears that I think all of us should have about a Trump presidency. If it did. If they did intervene, and if it did work, are they going to get anything out of it? We don't necessarily know what posture Trump is going to take uh, with respect to Russia and Putin. We've said he wants to re-engage, but we don't know. This guy is unpredictable. Putin could anger him. He could do something totally different. So I think there's a long difference between what some, I think, particularly on the left, are saying that, look, ru the Russians delivered this election to Trump and what the reality is. And I think the two of them are starkly at odds. I think that the CIA, that, that report this week, I saw it more in the framework of the ongoing disbelief that actually Trump is going to be president. Yeah. More part of that. Like, it's the same as looking for the recount. Mm. It's like, really? Did we really vote for him? Is he really going to be the president? I, so I saw it more in that context than anything else. Jerry? I, I think one thing we can say about Trump at this stage, perhaps particularly from this side of the world, is that we're probably suffering from 
Trump criticism fatigue syndrome, mm. if there's such a thing. Now, we didn't vote for him, but we uh, have to mm. deal with the consequences. But, but I, 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 I think like one thing is clear is that we don't know what exactly, ex- you know, he's going to do. I mean, he's, he said a lot during the campaign, but now in actual fact... Um, he certainly is in his some of his appointments. He's actually putting into train theoretically, if you like, some of his ideas. But in actual fact, it's very difficult to know exactly how the presidency is going to be. But I think the biggest single challenge that Trump is going to face is going back to Harold Macmillan's old adage about it's events, dear boy, events. But it's interesting. I was speaking to somebody from Germany during the week and they were saying that Taking a very simple example whereby Trump says America will no no, no longer necessarily get itself involved with NATO and defend if one is attacked, you know, everybody, everybody comes to everybody else's defense. He said, again, looking perhaps a decade or more hence, when the current political establishment moves on in Germany, the single most powerful country in Europe is Germany economically. And he says that it's inevitable. He thinks that there will be a move within Germany to um, acquire some new sort of nuclear deterrent to protect itself and protect Europe against a threat from the Russians, particularly if you have this new causing up allegedly that's mm. going to happen between Trump and Putin. So, I mean, when Trump finds this sort of stuff coming into his desk of a given morning, the cowboy from Exxon may well be in actual fact charged with trying to square some very difficult circles. Well, we, we've had a lot of defence of the said same cowboy from Exxon because seemingly he believes in climate change, which is something that uh, Mr. Trump yeah. had a lot of issues with previously. So that, that's Sarah Palin calls him so, so, T-Rex, so. by the way. <laughs> so that, that also says a lot. Very but small, very small hands, <laughs> just like Trump himself. <laughs> I, I think Trump himself sort of believed at one stage in climate change. It's just that he lied during the campaign. <laughs> but as Pat Rabbit said one time, isn't that that's what the you kind do? of thing you do in a yeah. campaign? Indeed. Yeah. Right. Let, let's talk about um, uh, uh, arguably less uh, internationally threatening topic, penalty points. Uh, and this is the story on the Mail on Sunday. Um, about how there's great cash coming in from this, Bernie's. The, the, the top one, and this doesn't surprise me, up until September the 30th, according to the Mail on Sunday, is one that I have passed and has put the fear of God into me, even though I was doing the speed limit on the Nace Road at Greenhills. It's inbound, always inbound, I've seen it there. It's pulled in 202 grand mm. in nine months. And that's just one of the, the best performing yeah. speed vans, if we can call it that. You see, we all love thinking, oh, they're ripping us off, they're gouging us. And, you know, the headline here is, that the, the headline in the Mail is revealed the top 10 black spots over the past five years and how many millions have been raked in. Well, now, hold on, because 27.8 million has been collected over the past five years on these speed cameras, right? But it costs the same to collect it. So it's not like this is this vast cash cow that's coming in. This is just this. And I do believe speed cameras are a mechanism to make people slow down because they don't hide them. You know where they are. If you're speeding past them, well. But the the theory always was they go where uh, there are accident black spots. Yep. Now, the bit on the Nace Road, maybe there have been a lot of accidents there. I don't know. Mm. But it seems to they just have moved that one from the one that used to be under the flyover on the N11 in Stalorgan because that uh, 2014 made 248 grand and now that's getting less. So yeah. is that because motorists on the Stalorgan Road... Didn't they change road, that? Or did they, didn't they, did they change the speed? Or is it just because well, we I wonder, I wonder is, is people now behaving You themselves? go into that dip in the Stalorgan Road and you slow down yeah. because you know it. Because you've seen this list in 2014 and you thought... Well, well we did an audit during... 
the break as to how many penalty points there are around the table. And there are three road angels amongst <laughs> us. Saintly. And uh, Jerry O'Regan, um, who has <laughs> who has penalty points, uh, who got caught in. Where, where was your, where did Abbey you get Field. caught? Abbey Field, which is on the, is list. That on the list. It's on the is list. It's on the list. What yeah. is interesting about the list, I, the, the only streets that I go through, like Fibsborough comes in third at 90. That took a na- you can't drive through Fibsborough at any speed at all. I'm staggered that that But they that probably happened. put it there in the middle of the night, yeah, you see, yes, when cars will yeah. be 10, 10 to speed yeah. up. And again, that's pro- arguably and that's fair. a road when safety do accidents initiative. Happen? Yeah. But, but, Jerry, does this frustrate you when you see this? Or do you no, understand no, the principle? As, oh, no, as I'm, I'm all for speed limits. And I think speed is one of the great killers in Irish roads. And I think... Uh, one of the things that's happened over the last few years is that there's a gnawing sense of fear amongst motorists that they may be caught. And a penalty point is a bit of a hit because you have to pay the... uh the, the, fine. the fine and it affects your insurance. Well, it's three points now as well, of course. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, 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 I think all that is to the good. I may as well tell you that in Abbey Field, now it was marginally over the limit. Oh, so <laughs> you say now, Judge, Jerry. Judge, it's but marginally <laughs> over the limit. <laughs> it was, and all. If, for those of you who may not be aware of downtown Abbey Field, it's part of the main road, if you like, mm. if you're coming up from the deep southwest up to Dublin. So, in actual fact, it's very easy to be ensnared there. Yeah. By the language elect- of the victim. Yeah. Well, it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> by, <laughs> by electronic yeah. surveillance. Yes. The CIA All the well stories <laughs> are coming together now. One, yeah. one, look, in Abbeyfield. Uh, Dublin, <laughs> Dublin features a lot on this, but when mm. you see some of the roads that are very high-end, Faha in County Kerry, the R563, that's not going to be a very big road if it's an R road, so it's a secondary road. Yeah. Um, and then you have another one, which is the R586 in Enniskeen in County Cork. So, you know, th- th- these are targeting clearly roads that are dangerous. Mm. And, and, you know, you so should should we be jumping up and down and arguing that this this yeah. is all wrong? No. Anyway, it's, it's, Look, it's a good start. It's a good list. It's a good list. Yeah. And more Everybody people are going to buy the mail on Sunday today yeah. because they want to have a look at the list. So well done them. Um, I want to talk about um, Magella um, O'Donnell, who uh, there's a front page story about this on the mail. Uh, sorry, the mirror. And it's also inside on, on the mail as well. And uh, Bernice, you have it mm. there in front of yeah, you. Yeah, and it's also in the Indo. It's everywhere. So actually, I do feel in some ways all the papers this week, it's a slow, it feels like a snow, slow There's an odd week, mix of stories. It's a weird mix. Yeah. But anyway... Um, apparently, uh, Magella O'Donnell's pal um, is 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 in trouble, and she wanted an appointment with a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist is going to cost. There's a massive waiting list, and her, her doctor referred her. Um, she would. She was told she wasn't going to be seen to at least February, and that this is the real point of Magella's. Uh, sort of making this public is that it will cost her 300 euro an hour for a psychiatrist um, and she's saying that's too expensive and how how can anybody justify that no but of course that is medical professional consultant fees you could say that for you know so many of them you know but it doesn't necessarily cost 300 euros well, to see like a consultant it's 180 sometimes yeah yeah 300 does seem quite stupid anyway um I don't know why this has gotten such airing. I don't know. Maybe we we, we don't really expect you know the, the 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 language she used in her in her tweets and so on. It's a little unlike Magella. It's a little unlike. But it's obviously exactly. a, a, a symptom so, of how much yeah. how hardly yes. strongly she feels yes. about this, yeah. Larry. It, well, I think it's a symptom of how strongly a lot of people feel mm. uh, when they look uh, at the costs of drugs. And I, I think there's been a lot of publicity recently around or can be um, and the cost of it and that the dreadful rate of cystic fibrosis in this country, which I think is very high. In the amount of sufferers and obviously it's it's a profound tragedy and having to make decisions 
discussions uh, around funding for a drug that's that expensive in light of all the medical needs uh, of people in this country, I think, is really, really difficult. Um, it, you know, when it comes to justifying these, these fees, uh, you know, I have a brother who works in the pharmaceutical industry, uh, and he's always fighting back to me, saying that the amount of money that they need for research and development is extraordinary. The amount of minds, the amount of the, what they everything they have to put into creating these life-saving drugs has a cost. Uh, I tend to think it's extraordinary. I tend to think it's exorbitant. And I especially am troubled by the salaries that are paid uh, to some of these people. I think I saw a figure of $28 million, uh, to one of the CEOs of these pharmaceutical industry companies. Uh, and I think that's way OTT. Mm, I mean, d- before we get, I want to get to our camp because there's a lot about that I- in the papers again. But Jerry, w- when you have professionals charging fees, that's mo- not as much a reflection on the professionals who can charge what they like because they're in private practice. It's a reflection on the public system that has no capability to deal with people who find mm. themselves in difficult. Well, I think, you know, in fairness, Magella O'Donnell has done a lot, uh, has done a lot, I think, you know, for mental illness in the sense of, you know, speaking about her own battles with depression and that. And uh, I think in a sort of a way, she's done some benefit here because that has been another hidden area of Irish life until, you know, recent years. And um, but, you know, this is a tension factor, which is it's very difficult to equate um, very ex- extremely as we were even speaking in the case of A.A. Gill, um, you, you know, extremely costly private medicine, in extremely costly drugs and the necessity to treat all citizens of the state equally. And it's a fact of life. You know, if you want to go to people privately and they're very qualified medically most countries in the world you pay an awful lot of money but it, yeah but at the same time if, if I go in with a, a, a mm. pain in my stomach or I've a problem with my leg or whatever mm. and I, I pay to see a consultant I might have to wait a couple of weeks but I'll get in to see them if you're at a low ebb in terms of mm. your mental health oh no of course I, I mean uh, absolutely and I mean it begs the question you, you, you know but it, I think almost the same uh, analogy can be made if somebody is potentially seriously ill you know they say you know in, in Ireland once you get into hospital hospital it's okay but there are there are people who've got various relatively serious physical ailments and indeed in this case um psychological problems maybe or mental illness and in actual fact we have a on what one might describe describe as a queue based system mm. that's mm. why people are joining the VHI mm. yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, it just it's going to be an ongoing thing by the way a texture makes the point the 180 euros I was talking about mm. to see a consultant that's for about 10 or 15 minutes yeah. so 300 euros right. an hour is actually hour, good yeah. value yeah. relatively when you put it that way on our canby um, because we've talked a lot about this on, on this programme mm. for the last couple of weeks because Susan Mitchell has been doing great work on this story in the Sunday Business Post and, and Hugh O'Connell has taken up the bat on this week Simon Harris is going to hold talks with the British Health Secretary Jeremy Hunt uh, who is not particularly popular in his own country for the junior doctors row, but it is an opportunity for uh, Simon Harris to link up with him and indeed other countries to try and force the hands of Orkambi and, and you know you have to have sympathy for the Department of Health because it's expensive uh, to try and buy these drugs but there is strength in numbers and we should be doing this kind of thing the economies of scale Larry would make this a good idea 
Absolutely. I, I think Simon Harris is right, and I think joining forces is absolutely right, and I think trying to um, negotiate and play hardball with these pharmaceutical companies is the only way forward. Um, now, whether they can reach a figure, the sum right now, 159000 per year per patient, is just extraordinary. Whether they can come to a figure um, that I think you know is, is reasonable uh, and where that figure is, uh, I don't know. And again, we hear a balance between, I mean, how do you make decisions when you're talking about people's lives? And then you, you have a lot of other people suffering different things, and you have hospital needs and all these kinds of different things. It's an extraordinary difficult situation uh, to resolve, I think. And it's a really awkward one for those who are taking this drug, some of whom we spoke to on this program, who had they had four weeks supply three weeks ago, so now they've got a week. Mm. They're going to run out before mm. Christmas, and any deal, if one is to be done, won't mm. be done until the new year. So mm. your heart goes out to them, Jerry. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think it's probably a big test for Simon Harris because uh, he's the latest um, figure we put into our much troubled health service to try and resolve matters uh, within reason. I mean, this is just one of a number of problems affecting the health service, as we know. Um, And look, the amounts of money are stratospheric. The suffering of the people involved, I mean, in many cases is unimaginable. And to an extent, one feels that our capacity to resolve the matter will have to be done in the context of some international reaction. So, like, joining up with the British obviously makes a good sense. But, like, it focuses, again, that as science develops and more and more sophisticated drugs come on board, and as Larry says, the companies will say, well, look, we've had to spend X amount in experimentation to try and arrive at it, etc. It's going to become a long-running saga, I think. Yeah, and that's no good to somebody who wants to know if they're going to get mm-hmm. the, the packet of pills next week. Uh, just some texts uh, on penalty points. Uh, penalty points are only for Irish people. How many Gardaí have penalty points? I did see a guard driving a van the other day with his mobile phone in his hand mm-hmm. on the steering wheel, and I said, if he saw me doing that, yeah. he turn the blue lights on. Um, speed limits are good, but vans are not always visible. Hiding behind walls or bus shelters with the camera window exposed. Good initiative with terrible application and reputation, says Dave in Dublin. Yeah, Dave, sometimes, but I mean, most of the times they're very clearly branded as speed vans and you see them a good distance away. And there's away. Great big signs warning yeah. you that they're going to be there. And they are. So, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if I buy into that uh, particular thing. And Fred says, speed doesn't kill, stupidity kills. Uh, but what happens if the stupid are going fast, Fred? That's another <laughs> challenge. And uh, we'll talk about the poor and fortunate lollipop ladies next because they're getting dogs abuse. And we are getting lots of texts in uh, about the cost of drugs. I'll just give you two of them there. And one is quite a long one from Michael Byrne, who's listening. Good morning to you, Michael. He says, I am a pharmacist. It's worth bearing in mind that we spent $8 billion on alcohol and $2 billion on drugs. The expensive drugs are supplied on so-called high-tech drug scheme. When a pharmacy buys a high-tech drug, they don't pay for it from the wholesaler, the government pays for it directly. So it would be hugely beneficial if you saw how the cost of the top 10 non-high-tech drugs has fallen massively since the crash. The fall is in the order of 75%. On the other hand, the cost of the top 10 high-tech drugs is exploding. Why, when the high-tech drug bill is soaring, have they not tackled the price of these drugs? Humira, the biggest driver of costs as regards the state drug bill in the last 10 years, was reduced by 1-3% to in the last deal with manufacturers. The insane reimbursement models being pursued now means that 25% of the 1,800 pharmacies in the country are loss-making and are only surviving by cutting staff. So that obviously is having an implication again. But there you have it. If, it's the problem is the government is doing the negotiating here. Mm. And if the government is doing the negotiating, they're not doing a very good job on those high-end drugs, which is it's, it's a difficulty. And as another listener makes the point, it's not just or can be that's massively expensive. I'm on an MS treatment called Lemtrada, 
which costs upward of 100 grand as well. It's expensive, but the most effective treatment available because no other drugs have worked. And again, probably Lemtrada works well for you as an MS patient, but mightn't work well for the next patient who is on MS. So it is a challenge, a real challenge. Um, let's talk about the Sunday Independent story. Um, Irish Water, Jerry. It's, it's the gift that keeps on giving this Christmas. Uh, five million euro consultant bill, even though the charges have stopped coming in now at this point. And, and I'm sure this is an absolute joy to those who paid their bills who might not get their money back. Well, I think the the Sunday Independent story makes the point that we may well live in a rain-soaked island, but that in actual fact, going forward, our water is going to cost us an awful lot of money. Whether we pay for it through general taxation, as now seems the case, or whether we would have had to pay for it under the old scheme of water charges. Now, Irish Water will probably make the point that buying in all these consultancy fees is actually cheaper in the longer term or consultancy firms because otherwise they would have to recruit a load of staff and they will argue that they're in actual fact in the process of establishing a nationwide utility which involves every single household in the country. Taking quite some time on the to other do hand, that, to be fair to them. On, on the other hand, the amounts of money involved continue to be stratospheric and um, one wonders in actual fact when will we be sort of up and ready to go as regards a national water utility. I was walking across Marion Marion Street the other day, and Marian, started raining. Uh, no, it wasn't started <laughs> raining, but there was a there was a pipe, and the pipe was leaking. And I was exp- I saw guys in the high vis and say, "God, oh, there'll be mm. Irish water now out doing the the good work on behalf of the people." Dublin City Council. <laughs> so mm. I was like, it "Wasn't even Irish water?" But th- it's going to keep coming and coming and coming these bills and it's going to keep annoying people as simple as that yeah well yeah. that's the headline is obviously provocative you know 5 million consultants but after the charges end which is the point like you think what um, but we're, you know how, that's the consultants bill but the actual organisation is also costing you know mm. which is probably costing much more than 5 million in terms of salaries and so on we have annoyed Brian who is, oh. uh, says he enjoys the programme good morning Brian I hope we haven't uh, taken too much from the enjoyment of the programme I'm a guard <laughs> I'll be waiting outside for you, Jerry. Uh, I'm a guard. I have six points. I'm also an Irish citizen. When I'm off duty and I deserve the points for speeding, I got them. However, I take exception to your inference of how many Gardaí have points, says Brian. Well, uh, someone else makes the point that um, mobile phone legislation means uh, you, you are exempted uh, from it when you are on duty. But I just wonder why your man had it in his hand mm. while he was steering the steering. If I were you, I'd, when you're going down to Cork, I would be driving very carefully What you call it, the cruise control will be <laughs> yeah. set back. Hang on. I'd be extremely Hang careful. On. That's all I'd say. Um, and, uh, lollipop men. We were deriding whether there are such thing as lollipop men out there. But uh, someone points out, surely you remember Percy Sugden from Coronation Street. He was the he was the lollipop man. Bernice is shaking her I head. I don't remember that. And I, I do remember Percy, Percy Sugden. Yeah, he okay. was there. What, he was a stalwart. On he did a lot of things on Coronation <laughs> Street. Uh, but this is the story um, on the front of the Sunday Business Post. Uh, school wardens, better known as lollipop ladies and gentlemen, have been physically assaulted, threatened and verbally abused by most and parents how could you bring yourself to do this <laughs> is mm. the first question I'd ask myself Bernice well uh, this is this is story Leanna Byrne um, Freedom of Information 30 County Councils finding out what reports they had back from uh, school wardens about behaviour uh, complaints uh, about motorist behaviour um, and you know, it says here that um, 
uh, there was 128 formal complaints from school wardens about parents and drivers behaviour and that was since 2010 and some of them uh, you, you know one case uh, some of the worst incidents include complaints lodged with Wexford County Council that a warden was harassed by a member of the public on three consecutive occasions and that a motorist, a motorist proceeded forward and struck a warden on the back of their legs with the car <laughs> with the car and then uh, then there's loads of complaints about uh, 50 uh, about motorists stopping to, uh, failing to stop that the, the, the warden is out in the middle of the road and the motorist fails would to stop would you not have to have a serious conversation mm. with yourself as a motorist well, largely because, on a largely because the, well largely because the, 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 the key word here is that they're school wardens they are outside schools like well, they're, they're not I, I, on the I, N7 I, I think if you go if you see any the, the precinct around any school in Ireland early in the morning it's usually a traffic chock-a-block mm. area you have mothers and parents dropping off Absolutely. their kids and they're parking to, everywhere and mm. they're parking everywhere and the lollipop person is possibly the only linchpin between them and complete anarchy mm-hmm. and in actual fact the propensity to completely roll over the lollipop person is probably high uh, among some of the people uh, very harassed as they're trying to make it to mm. work Jerry is absolutely right I mean some of the things I've seen when, with parents doing the school run uh, it's as if they would do anything to get the car 10 feet closer mm-hmm. to the to the school oh, little, when, little Johnny has to get close well, to the door fact, I'm sorry if this is politically incorrect when in fact a lot of the time Johnny looks like he could use the 10 feet to walk <laughs> and to be perfectly frank with you uh, yes well we will put out Johnny's got an awful abuse there we'll move on quickly uh, but uh, how do we fix this I mean what I find fascinating about this whole story and you, you alluded to it there Bernice and I said it earlier is this came out from Freedom mm. of Information and it's fair play to Leanna who managed to phrase a question in such a way that she got this information but why aren't the end of the road safety authority yeah. are, are, are someone else I'm kind of curious what this? happens so so you make you're a, you're a school warden you make a complaint to the county council but then what what do, happens do then they, do they do a thank you for your complaint Thanks. Uh, but that seems to be it there's no there's no talk here the county council then did x y or z sent extra people to help that person at that crossing or whatever so I don't really understand very mel- many elements please of the story please respect the school wardens because they do an important job and they're looking after your children at the end of the day and if not they're, they're not your children they're your neighbour's children or your family's children uh, Larry you are extremely incensed about a story on page 7 of the mail on Sunday Pr- prior to coming in here I've rarely seen a man so agitated about a singular topic in actual fact his normal strident views on Donald Trump fade into insignificance this is about Carla Del Levine, um, who, who, who is, uh, I, I don't know, how would we describe her? Well, a model. Model. Th- mm. that, that'll do fine. Mm. Uh, she's a model. And, and she and her sister Poppy, uh, who, who may be a model, I don't know, and 160 of their closest friends were treated to a getaway in the Maldives. And all they had to do was, was to put pictures up on their social media. Mm. And they're getting harassed, Larry. This is a scandal. What TF is all I can say? (laughs) (laughs) Well, what I think that story is about mainly is the male taking the opportunity to use... Four, three pictures of women in bikinis on the page. Well, I, so, I think, so, I, so that's why Larry was so <laughs> yeah. that's, Maybe that's why I couldn't He decide. was just looking at the picture. <laughs> he wasn't reading the story. for the words because my eyes kept floating away to somewhere else. The, the funny thing is that, well, if that was the logic, they could have gone bigger with the pictures. But um, it, it's about the idea that because you are famous, you get free things as long as you yeah. treat pictures 
about yeah. them. And, and seemingly, the, the worm may have turned. That's the story here. Well, if, if there's a bigger point in it, it is this idea of oversharing, I think, that the story gets to, and this idea that people are sharing every aspect. And I suppose we could all plead guilty of that at some stage, but people are sharing so much, and they're, they're, some of their friends were saying, enough already. We, we've had enough of your pictures. We don't want to see any more of them. Uh, maybe that's the bigger, broader that's point that's trying to be made. That's just good old-fashioned jealousy. <laughs> yeah, that you're not on a holiday. Well, no, there, is a, there is another element, and mm. that is the authenticity of social media. Because mm. if you're a kid and you're following Cara Delevingne, which, you know, um, and you see she's on holidays, and you think, oh, well, that's a paid holiday, you know. So uh, wh- what's real and what's not? Yeah, welcome to the world of 2016 where we don't know what's paid for mm. anymore and what isn't. And on that particularly no- grim note uh, about social media, we'll park it for this week. Jerry O'Regan of the Irish Independent, Bernice, and by the way, the only one with penalty points, Bernice <laughs> Harrison of the Irish Times, Larry Donnelly of NUIG. Thank you all very much for joining us.